Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. Happy Friday. Let me jump right in here. I have basically three separate subjects that I want to bring up. The first was tossed to me by Cicely from New Mexico, who was a previous guest on the podcast. She's the one who walked away from the mask wearing and her entire school district, and she said no more. Again, she never wore a mask, was never involved and then was cut loose as a result, only, of course, to have the entire school district come back begging for her to return, and she told them to go pound sand, which is awesome. But she tossed this my way because, again, this is happening where she lives, and it's happening all over the place, and nothing can stop this. These school districts are in deep trouble financially. There's no other way to put it. This right now is the time of the year where they are crunching the numbers, and they're saying, oh, no. Um, we're losing enrollment. We are going to have a hard time keeping the lights on in many cases. This is not one of those things that's going to get better. They have abused far too many minors over the last two years that they can't, uh, I mean, they're not going to get away with it. And this is exactly how you get back at them. You know, families have got to make the decision to homeschool and to remove themselves from these environments. It's the only way forward here. I, I do not see, I, I personally don't see a law-abiding direction when it comes to rebuilding American public schools, private schools or charter schools. I, I don't think that that's going to be the solution. I think it's a short-term band-aid, so to speak, that's going to satisfy some people who still send their children to public schools. But I do not think that making laws, again, against the critical theories and the textbooks, much like what Florida is doing, which I applaud, but I don't think that that's a long-term solution. Because again, any other politician gets in, they can reverse things in a, in a heartbeat. Um, we do know that they, of course, are coming after homeschooling families in some cases. Certainly the UN has attempted to do that, as I've, as I've brought up on the podcast here, but this isn't. Uh, it, the, the battle isn't over one way or another, is I guess my, my ultimate point. Writing laws to, again, attempt to protect minors within public schools is an open admission that these are illegal environments and dangerous environments. But financially, again, they are doing more than just feeling the strain. They are hurting big time. And so I want to play this audio again because this has to do with Albuquerque public schools are cutting costs and combining classes. I might add, too, from a employment-slash-professional-environment standpoint, if you want to call it that, but there are good teachers who teach, and I know that, and some of them, again, have been on this podcast. Clearly, Cicely is one of them, but there are many. This is one of the things that's going to squeeze out morally sound teachers also, is by looking at those individuals and saying, okay, look, it's the end of the year. We have to cut costs. This is typically the time when we as administrators have to decide on what subject you're going to teach and what grade level and how many students you're going to have and whatever. All of that is going to get worse for every teacher, not just the morally sound, but it's going to get worse even for you know, the, the teachers that don't like what they do, that, that hate their job, um, that are hard left wing, radical, whatever, even they are going to be more miserable than they already are. And that's difficult to imagine, I know, but it's something that really is going to happen. Teachers hate, I mean, they absolutely hate it. They hate having any of their routines disrupted. They're routine oriented people by nature. Uh, and, and that can be a healthy thing. It can be a remarkably unhealthy thing at the exact same time. But when you look at a teacher and you say, we're plucking you out of your classroom, that, that, that disrupts them completely. When you say, you're going to be moving from one classroom to another throughout the entire course of the day, that's another element and another variable that drives them nuts. If you look at them and you say, you were normally teaching one subject all day long, seven times a day, to 200-some-odd students. 
Now you need to teach two subjects or three subjects to more students. Multiple grade levels, I might add also. That's going to throw them off the edge. In particular, again, for the teachers in the, in the past who have never done that previously. Uh, that's going to disrupt every example of any routine that they've ever had. And that's going to drive many of them, again, to be less effective within the classroom, and it's going to drive them to quit in many cases. So even if the individuals stay within these teaching environments, they are not going to be happy people. Those are the people who are going to be teaching your children if you're still sending them to a public school environment. So earlier when I said from a professional standpoint, I mean from a workplace mental health standpoint. They, they aren't going to be well people. Again, keep in mind, the jab is an element in all of this, but those are the people that are remaining within these environments. You're, you're taking individuals, again, who are normally routine-oriented, very straightforward, uh, you know, A, B, C, connecting the dots for the most part. Yes, there's the lunatic fringe out there, of course, that, that should go without saying, but even they are disrupted by all of this, and all of that is caused by these financial problems that they're having. The problem for them and their major disconnect in all of these school board meetings in XYZ is they cannot for the life of them figure out that it was their own fault to begin with. That the long-term writing was on the wall here. I was talking about this again in 2020, writing about it in March and April of 2020. I said, once this ball gets kicked down the hill, no one is going to be fast enough to chase it, catch it, or even get a hold of it. Even if they were to catch it, they won't be able to get a hold of it. The ball will still bounce around their arms and escape again. And it's abuse. It's just too late. It's too late. They've abused too many people by their own hand from their own terrible policy because they aren't thinking people. They can't see further than their own hand in front of their face. They don't think any further than that. These are not, again, proactive, quote unquote, hate the word, but they use it all the time, claiming that they are proactive. They are the furthest from proactive you could possibly imagine. So listen to this news audio again from Albuquerque. Uh, it's very, very telling. And again, they've lost the plot here. State lawmakers gave Albuquerque Public Schools a tall order today. They say the state's largest school district needs to make major changes, including cutting jobs and consolidating classes. News 13's Annalisa Pardo is live at APS headquarters this evening with the latest. Annalisa. Yeah, Dean and Jess, that 64-page report shared with the Legislative Finance Committee outlined the changes the district needs to make to address a drop in enrollment and budget issues. And in the report, we also make the point that classes, uh, elementary school grades and classes are currently under-enrolled, and there may be opportunities for consolidated classes. The report says the 17% decline in enrollment over the last decade is mostly due to declining birth rates and increased enrollment at charter schools, but was only worsened by the pandemic. In addition to consolidating classes, the state report says the district should cut its workforce. APS says it's already started that process, eliminating, eliminating some vacant positions. The report also highlighted the need for facility upgrades district-wide. We do prioritize high poverty schools for funding for facility improvements and upgrades, but our local funding simply cannot keep up with the needs of aging facilities, not unlike any other district in the state. Superintendent Scott Elder says the total cost for all the needed building upgrades in the district would be $7 billion. The report also says the learning gap was highest among low-income youth and that the district should focus resources there. Now, lawmakers say APS increased its spending despite seeing declining enrollment. They recommend the district strengthen its oversight over procurement and internal auditing. Back to you. Annalisa, thank you. APS responded to that report by asking policymakers to reconsider funding formulas and how federal dollars can used to can be used to better help the district we have a link to the full report 
and the district's response, just go to krqe.com. Let's do some basic math here. Just basic math. Again, a person doesn't even have to be a business major or even have a firm grasp of business to know this. I certainly don't, uh, but I can, I can see this. What is more expensive? Is it more expensive to run a multi-million dollar school building? Or is it more expensive to employ a teacher or even a teacher's aide who probably makes half or less than half of what a school teacher makes? Maintaining a building always costs more. They have to cut people. They have to. And you have, at the teacher education level, at the university level, you have students who are training to be teachers who have no idea because they're not being told. If they were told this, if they were told the truth, the teacher education departments and professors would be out of jobs for telling the truth. Because again, their enrollment would decline and no one would show up wanting to learn how to be a teacher, allegedly. Although I'm not sure that's what they're doing anymore. They haven't been doing it for a long time. But they're walking into a business that is crumbling. They're walking into a business that is cutting people. Again, this is not a model that's going to survive. If you're walking into a business that's cutting people and you show up with your resume in hand and they say, you know what, we're sorry, we're having to cut people, we're just not hiring. You're talking about hiring freezes. And that's what's going on in countless districts. There are, there are also hiring freezes. Yes, they're cutting people loose, no doubt about it. But they're also not hiring people because they can't afford to do so. Hence why they're adding on endless subjects on top of teachers for them to teach, even if they're uncertified. Now, you've heard me mention this too, and this is another element that does matter. They have to hire, they have to, they have to change their hiring practices. And they've already done it, like I've said, with substitutes, but they really are going to have to start doing it with, with school teachers if they are hiring. They're going to have to continue to build, and by they, I mean K-12 public schools, private schools, charter schools. They're going to have to start building their own teacher education programs that certify people who do not have bachelor's degrees or subject-specific degrees from quote-unquote higher education or a four-year college. They're going to have to change something. And whatever, again, they create is not going to work. Again, we're not talking about creators here. These are not these are not people who create very well. They're just continuing to pour water into a glass, and there's a hole in the bottom of the glass, and they can't see it, and they just keep pouring water into it. And they're going, I don't know, I don't know why. I, I you know, I just can't catch up to this water. I'm trying to drink it, but it just keeps it, it you know, it just keeps running out, and I, I, I just don't know what's happening. I mean, they, they can't see that they are responsible, and they're never going to admit that. Again, these are a very arrogant and pride-filled people. Pride, of course, being a deadly sin. Emphasis on the word deadly. These are not people that are ever going to admit their fault. They're not going to admit, maybe we jumped the gun on, on getting everybody, you know, encouraging the jabs. Maybe we, we jumped the gun on this, that, or the other. They're not, they're not going to admit that. In fact, there's a very, and it's very school-like, playground-like mentality. And, it's, and it happens, again, among certainly school board members and treasurers within, within school districts. But during their board meetings all across the nation, they will do this thing where they're consistently comparing themselves to others, whether it be academically or financially, in this case, financially. And they'll say, well, we're well off and we have it figured out and we've managed our money the best. Yes, times are going to get tough maybe in the future, but look at this school over here. They're having to do this and they're having to do that. and We don't have to do those things. It's this it's just this neighborhood, you know, na 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 na. I got this, and you don't. It and and what they don't understand is is that the very individuals doing that so-called bragging, or financial bragging, they're in debt too, and they're financially losing too. Not to mention, ninety plus percent of your staff members are jabbed, give or take. Even if it's fifty percent, 
if you lose 10% of your staff because of illness during a school year, you have to close your doors as a school building. Because again, there's a, there, there's a substitute shortage. Again, you know, it's, it's laughable and so sad. It's just so sad. But this is, but, but it's funny and amazing that we are living in this time because we are watching the complete disintegration of this entire thing. Brick by brick, day by day, month by month, it's falling to the ground. There isn't anything that can stop this. Nothing. Like I said, there's not going to be a law that fixes it. They're not going to, you know, it's not going to be better better textbooks that don't have critical theories in it. That's not going to fix the problem. You have people that are jabbed, financially ruined, angry, disgusted, thrown off of their routines, teaching subjects they don't want to teach, can't teach, aren't certified to teach, have no experience teaching let alone separate grade levels. And these are the individuals all working in the same environment. I, I cannot think of a more unhealthy environment. I can't. So that's, that's kind of my rant on that. It's perfectly, I thank Cicely again for sending it to me. It was perfect. It's a perfect example of the financial collapse of the entire institution. There isn't anything that can save it. More tax dollars, like I said in past episodes, if this kind of stuff makes its way to an election ballot, you have to vote no on raising your taxes to fund these schools. You have to vote no on these levies. You have to. You know that, again, the most hard left environments are always going to fund public education. They're always going to vote yes on every levy and, and give away all their money and raise their own taxes to just destroy these children. Um, and then, of course, once schools get money, what do they do with it? They waste it. They're notorious money wasters. So it's just it's a, it's the cycle of abuse. It's cyclical, and there's nothing, uh, there's nothing that's going to improve it other than them completely closing and people recognizing that they can be educators themselves, that students themselves can teach themselves. But that's a big leap for many. It's not a big leap for those that have been homeschooling since day one, but it's, it, it can be a very big leap for others. Um, here's the next thing, and a little story time very quickly. You know, this past week with the, what would I deem to be an illegal leak of a opinion that was written regarding the fake Roe v. Wade trial case, which was, of course, based on an entire lie. Um, it, it reminded me of a very interesting story. Now, first of all, just so you know my stance on all of this, I think there's a lot of elements that go into why, why this is being decided. I think there's an economic reason for it. I think there's a distraction reason for it. I also know that, that this very issue has probably been weighing on the minds of some of the more morally sound Supreme Court justices, uh, in particular when they know or should know what, what actually goes into an actual abortion and how it is, in fact, murder. That is my stance on it. That has really always been my stance. But there's two particular stories that I wanted to bring up about when I was a school teacher and a couple of things that I experienced. The first had to do with, and, and both of these occurred in the exact same school year, I might add. Um, the first was toward the, I'd say, middle of the school year. I had a student who was a former middle school student of mine, and he knew me, and he was a very nice kid, uh, very nice guy very intelligent. Uh, he was being bullied by, by school teachers when he was in middle school. I remember talking with his mother over the phone about the way that her son was being treated in a particular class. It was a language arts class that he had who was, that was being taught by a very terrible, terrible person and a terrible teacher. She was editing papers out where 
he was criticizing what goes on in the school building. She would edit those out. She was a sycophant of the school principal in the middle school where I worked. Um, just not a, not a good person. And then, of course, if anybody bothered her, she ran to her friend who was the, who was the principal of the school at the time. You know, so-and-so's bothering me or so-and-so asked me a question and I didn't like it. I mean, very sensitive and, and just a lunatic. Um, so there was that. But this particular student, again, I don't, I don't think they had me as a high school student when they entered high school and when I entered high school, but they knew that I was working in the high school and they came up to me one day. Again, I was teaching health education, anatomy, and physiology, and I never encouraged abortion. I never, I never really brought it up. I, I described it bluntly as, as, as being murder, as being unnecessary, and that individuals need to remain abstinent. I, I encouraged wait until marriage. I encouraged all of that, knowing full well that that was not going on within the school building where I was working. But what I also did was, as again, teaching health education, anatomy, and physiology, both qualified and certified to do so, the approach that I always took when it came to teaching about reproduction and all of that is there was a bit of a sex education element into it, and there had to be. But I specifically talked about the socioeconomic impact and the psychological impact of what happens with minors when they engage in sexual contact with one another. I always brought that up. I, I, I went through the pyramid of poverty, as, I, as it was commonly called, at least I called it that. And it basically meant if you engaged in these kinds of behaviors, then you were likely to then have a variety of other things happen to you. If you engaged in sexual behaviors, you were likely to not graduate from high school. You were likely to have less money, less likely to get a job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that, that's a fact. That's a demographic and a financial fact. Again, decision-making comes into it as well. So what I was able to do, which I take some pride in a little bit, and, and I'm, I'm glad that this happened, is I was able to discourage people from engaging in sexual contact when they were in high school. I thought that was a, a pretty good thing. I didn't scare them by using, by shouting at them or anything. I talked to them just like I'm talking right now. This was my tone when I was in a classroom. And I would show them the facts. I would say, these are the facts. People keep track of this kind of stuff. And, you know, I mean, the students needed to know that. But one particular day, I had a student, again, this the same student that I had in middle school. He came up to me, and he was anti-abortion, big time. And he knew that a lot of, and again, good, great for him. He was 100% right. But there were a number of students, of course, that were, that were uh, engaging in sexual contact with one another, and some of them were, were openly talking about their abortions, and it was, it was awful. But he had made up these business cards, so to speak. There were PSA cards, public service announcement cards, the size of a business card you'd stick in your wallet. And on one, on, on one side, it had just basically like a title or a quick little message that was about about abortion and how awful it is. And it was an image, a real picture of a child who had been aborted. And they were cut up into pieces, and you can imagine what that looks like. On the other side of the card, again, were information websites and phone numbers to get more information on, on what is really, you know, what really goes on with an actual abortion and the other problems that occur. Again, the mental and emotional health of the female after the fact the suicide rate after the fact, things of that nature. Um, and they came into my room, and again, they had a stack of these cards. And he handed me one, and he said, take a look at this. And I said, wow. I said, where'd you get this? And he said, I made them up. And I said, nice work. I looked at him and I said, way to go. And he, and he said, uh, would you mind putting one in your classroom? And I said, I'll tell you what. I said, I'll keep the card. I said, you can do whatever you want, wherever you want in the building. I said, that's, that's, that's up to you. I said, don't, don't involve me per se in any of this. He goes, no, I totally get it. I said, you know me. I said, I cover this subject in my classroom. I go over all of the detrimental effects of all of this and, and what it really is and, and how awful it is in XYZ. And he goes, I totally get it. So I kept the card in my desk and it was just kind of in the drawer right there. 
and uh, approximately, and what he was doing was is he was basically littering the school with them, but he was putting them in bathrooms. He was handing them to to his female friends, and the and his female friends were putting them in the female bathrooms. He was putting them in the male bathrooms. He was again leading them up against the back backs of the urinals, the backs of the toilets, the backs of the sinks, sticking them in the mirrors, the whole thing. I mean, it was brilliant. I mean, he was basically carpet bombing. Uh, and leaflet dropping, you know, all of this information throughout the school. Now, keep in mind all the other radical stuff. That I don't consider that radical, to be honest. It's 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 the truth. It's facts. But think of all of the other stuff that, of course, gets littered all over school. The rainbow flags, the perversion, you know, this, that, and the other. That's apparently all allowed. It's the, it's it's the facts that aren't. So, approximately one hour later, and this should tell you again the mental and emotional frame of the people who work and ran these buildings, along with their attitudes toward me, which was astounding. One of the assistant principals who I loathed, I mean, I just hated this guy. He was feckless, you know, wore a bow tie, no offense to people that wear bow ties, but I've, I don't trust them. That's, <laughs> that's, just, that's just my take. Uh, don't trust people with bow ties. Unless, of course, it's a tuxedo. That's different. Either way, Dude wears a bow tie. He, he walks into my room and he goes, uh, he, he busts open the door. It's during my planning period, but he, he busts open the door and he looks at me and he's holding up this, the, the same card that the, you know, that he found around the school that the, that the student was passing out. And he looks at me and he says, Hey, uh, I got a quick question for you. He was pretty stern too. And I, <laughs> I put him in his place pretty quick, but he looks at me and he goes, uh, are, are you the one doing this? Are you are you putting these around around the school building? I mean, he immediately blamed me. Like I was the one, you know, it was that Brooks, you know, it was, it was that Brooks guy. He's the one doing this because uh, you know, he's uh he tells the truth and and this is something that he would do. First of all, I I would never do that. I I didn't care. It was <laughs> I had my own subject to teach in my own classroom. I wasn't going around, you know, I, I never did that. But either way, I, I wouldn't discourage students from, from telling the truth or, or spreading the truth to anybody. I never did. So, what ended up, so he looks at me and he, he blames me immediately. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, first of all, what are you talking about? What are you, what are you even talking about? You bust into my room. Am I responsible for what? And then he hands it to me and I went, Interesting. And I handed it back to him. That's all I said. I looked right at him. I said, interesting. And I handed it back to him. I said, what do you want from me? He goes, are you responsible for this? I said, no. I haven't made these. I said, where are you finding these? What is this? He goes, well, somebody's putting them around the school apparently. And I just want to check with you first. And I was like, check with me or accuse me of something? Which is it? Because it sounded like you just accused me of something. And so he did, of course, accuse me. And I said, I don't know who this is. And he goes, well, all right. all right. It's probably a student or something. Uh, just keep an eye out if you can. And, you know, if, if you find out who it is, let me know. And I was like, yeah, no problem. And he leaves. And, of course, I knew who it was, and I'm not going to rat the kid out. The kid is doing something that's noble. And he was a noble student. Very, you know, very, uh, very knowledgeable. Very ahead of his time. Very m mature beyond his age. Um, but, yeah. So I just, it was hilarious. I just let the administration run around the building looking like chickens with their heads cut off, keeping a student from, uh, from sharing the truth in a school. In a school. I mean, wrap your head around that one. Can't share the truth in school, ladies and gentlemen. That's the environment. So, hey, if it discouraged one student, if one student saw it and it discouraged that one student from Making poor decisions, you know, even steps ahead of what would lead to an actual abortion, then mission accomplished. And I'm certain that it had an impact on someone, a positive impact, had to have. Uh, th so that that was that was the first story. I, th I thought that was uh, I thought that was cool of him to do that. It was very neat. I thought it was terrible that I was blamed by the administration because, well, they were just feckless losers anyway. But there you go. And that, of course, should tell you how they felt about me. They immediately blamed me. If a, you know, if a kid killed themselves in school, it was my fault. If a kid cut themselves, it was my fault. If uh, 
there were, you know, if there was a drug overdose in a bathroom down the hallway from where my classroom was, it was my fault. This is exactly where their heads went. It must be the subject he's teaching and it's him. So, you know, blame him. Ridiculous. Anyway, so that was that. Later on in the school year, toward the end of the school year, I had a student of mine come up to me and uh, I believe I remember her name, but I don't want to say it, but I, I remember, I remember her face and I remember her. She's a very nice student. Um, she was approximately 17 years old and she was absent from school for the first time in a, in, well, she was absent for about a week, which was unusual, very unusual. And she was because she was absent for a week, the school district, or the school in particular, had decided to give her a week's worth of detention, of after-school detention, for like three hours a day. I mean, it was just ludicrous. So, during that time, before she was, go- before she was gone for a week, she had had a sexual encounter with a male student, unprotected sex, and she had gotten pregnant. She didn't know she was pregnant during that time, during that first week, but the second week in, that's when she started to, uh, to feel all of the symptoms of, of, being, of being pregnant. And then she was told again by the administration that because she wasn't there for a week and wasn't calling in as to why, then she was skipping. And so now she was going to have to experience three hours of detention for a week straight every day. You see, these are not thinking people that run these buildings. They don't take into account the fact that there's other things going on in their lives, trauma, and that that has to be taken into consideration. And it could be that detention for someone who had a sexual encounter with someone who they thought that that they were in love with has now gotten them pregnant and that that might all be, you know, those might all be variables in a, in a, in a child's decision-making process. They didn't take any of that into consideration, and she, of course, didn't trust the administration any further than she could throw them, let alone the counselors because they were feckless losers too. But she trusted me. Unfortunately, the week that she was gone before her sexual encounter was the week that we were that I was teaching the students about the reproductive system. And again, the sex education element and everything that I brought up in the past was brought up within, within that week. She came back and she stuck around after class with two of her friends, who I also knew, and they were all friends and very responsible people. Again, even this student was a responsible person. She, she made a mistake, um, lapse of judgment, whatever you want to call it, and then what happened happened. She came up to me and she said, I'm pregnant. Um, I know for a fact I'm pregnant. What should I do? And what I explained to her was there was, of course, a health department, quote unquote, down the, down the way, uh, just down the street from the high school. I didn't like those people there. They, of course, would have encouraged her to probably have an abortion. What I told her was, is that the decision is not mine to make. But I said, you have a life inside of you. I said, you don't seem like the kind of person who could live with terminating a pregnancy. You're, you're, you're a sensitive person. You're, you're thoughtful, you know, whatever. You made a mistake. And I, I didn't shy away from telling her that on more than one occasion. Because again, the guy wasn't, wasn't, didn't want anything to do with her, wanted nothing to do with her, wasn't interested, bailed on her. And she knew that and she was fine with that and had come to grips with that and whatever. And I said, my recommendation is that you make up your mind as quickly as possible and that you do, and that Again, I knew where she was leaning. She wasn't going to have an abortion, and I was glad for that. I knew, I knew that that was the case. I said, make the decision then to not have an abortion and do it now. And, and, and I looked at her later on, and I said, so 
you're going to have this child and you're going to have your child. And she said, yes. I said, then I, then I got a big smile on my face and I looked her right in the eyes and I said, you're going to have your child. That's an excellent thing. Did it happen when you wanted, how you wanted? No, but maybe it wasn't supposed to be another way. Maybe it was supposed to be this way. And I looked at her and I said, now you have to come to school every day, regardless of how you're feeling. And you have to finish high school. You have to finish high school because the people that don't are, are typically pregnant. Yes, there are lots of pregnant individuals that, that finish high school, but she was, in fact, she was so mature that she even recognized that there were girls that would walk around the high school bragging about being pregnant. I'm having a baby. They would stick their chests out and, you know, chin up. I'm having a baby. I'm an adult woman. And they would, you know, they, they would brag about it in, in such an odd way. And I thought to myself again, this is not necessarily something to brag about. This is a private matter. It will reach a point physically where it, of course, will not be private anymore. But it's still your business. It's still your business. And it's still something that, again, you have to keep to yourself. It's not anybody else's business when it happened. It's not anybody else's business who the biological father is. That's not anybody's business. And all you have to do is look at the person and come up with a mantra, something to say back to them if they ask or if they start snickering or making fun, whatever it is. But it needs to be intelligent, succinct, and, and let that be the thing you say. And she, I mean, I told her all of this and she, she understood all of that. And she laughed again. With, with, with a smile on her face, she was crying a little bit when, when, when she was describing this situation to me. And I said, uh, you know, pick your chin up. You're going to be okay. You're going to be all right. I said, you have a good family. They care about you. And you'll be all right. Um, I saw her the next school year, and she was visibly very pregnant. And she came into my classroom. And I was happy to see her, and she was happy to see me. She had a glowing look on her face. Her eyes were big. She was, her chin was up. She wasn't boasting about anything, but she was very, very happy. Because, again, she was feeling all of the feelings that a pregnant female feels when they're pregnant. All of those you know, positive feelings and the baby moving and all of that stuff. And it's impactful stuff. I can imagine. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not one of these goofballs who's going, whatever, men can get pregnant. No, no. But it was awesome to see her more mature and, and handling everything more, you know, more, well, in a healthier way. And, uh, and I asked her to give me an update. I said, so tell me your plans here because we're planning now, you know, you're planning. So tell me what your plans are academically, job-wise, child-wise, et cetera. She goes, I'm finishing high school. She goes, in fact, it turns out that I was taking classes that I didn't even need to take. And now I'm only taking a few classes and these are the only ones I have to take in order to graduate and then I'm going to finish. And I was like, perfect. That's perfect. So she was set to go. Um, shortly after that, and again, we left on great terms, shook hands. I wished her the best. Uh, she looked great. Everything was fine. She was healthy. The baby was healthy. You know, making the regular appointments, X, Y, Z. Uh, and then that was it. That was the last time I saw her. Shortly after that, probably less than a month later, I quit. Um, and, and that was it. But, you know, I don't know where they are now. I don't know any of that. But that's, you know, those are the kinds of interactions that, that stick with you. I mean, this was a decade ago. You know, that, that interaction occurred 10 years ago, and I remember it almost like it was yesterday. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to mention those two things because, again, there are, there are excellent educators out there that do tell the truth to all of their students, and they get ahead of the curve to the point where they're saying, okay, look, you're minors and you're young and inexperienced. You're probably not taking into consideration a lot of things. So let me jump way ahead, and then we'll work backwards. And then I'll start again from the start, and we'll work forward. And then you get them to see the entire picture the best that you can. 
Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know if I have a a logical conclusion to those two stories, but I just wanted to share that regarding all of this because I think what we're seeing here is a lack of education among the the brainwashed individuals who are shouting about you know their rights and their bodily autonomy and this that and the other. These were the same people who would scream at a complete stranger in a Walgreens that they weren't that they weren't standing far enough away from them that they weren't wearing a mask and that they needed to take their shots. I mean think about that. You know some people have lost it. They've just lost it and those people cannot be fixed. They're too far gone. They believe too many lies. They're too easily manipulated. There are too many puppet strings wrapped all the way through them. They're they're finished. That's not a person that's going to make it. But I hope that I hope that those two students turned out to be successful. I pray that that was the case. I hope that again her child is healthy. Uh, I hope they're not jabbed. But you know, it's it's hard to tell. Either way, moving forward here, I wanted to read this too because again, this is a perfect example of the uh, of the insanity in this entire process. In particular, again, when it comes to what schools are deciding to do regarding these quote-unquote sexual issues. Uh, This was tossed to me by Jesse James from the Dangerous Info Podcast, and I thank him for sending this my way. This, again, came via libs of TikTok also, I believe. I believe it was on their Instagram. And this is from the Portland Public Schools. So you have a pretty good idea as to where this is going. It says, Dear PPS Community, We want to offer an update on Portland Public Schools' implementation of the Oregon Menstrual Dignity Act, signed into law in 2021 by Governor Kate Brown. The law requires public schools to offer free menstrual products to all students. Yes, that's right, even males. PPS is taking a phased approach to the law. During the 2021-22 school year, the district placed free, accessible menstrual products in female and all-gender restrooms located in comprehensive high schools. And then this part is highlighted, although this entire thing is, is really jacked up. It says, quote, Starting next year in the 2022-23 school year, coming up, products will be available in all restrooms, male, female, and all-gender, in every PPS building where education occurs. To ensure timely compliance, PPS ordered 500 dispensers. Dispensers have been installed in all elementary and middle middle school girls' restrooms, and more will be installed in all remaining bathrooms, including boys' restrooms, next year. Instructions for how to use tampons and pads will be posted in all bathrooms. Websites, hyperlinks. We encourage parents to have a conversation with their students at home about menstruation and blah 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 blah. blah. It's um, yeah, it's awful. Public schools, ladies and gentlemen, let alone in the most communist states, in the most communist cities. What else do we expect? What else can we possibly expect? This leads me to this next audio clip that I want to play. And this, again, comes from Cape Coral, Florida, around where I used to live, the old stomping grounds, as it were, and uh, Trafalgar Middle School, of all places. I actually applied at this middle school to be their health teacher. They already had a health teacher. Too bad they missed out on me. Either way, that again, that was like whatever. That was over 15, 13, I don't know, 17 years ago plus. No hard feelings. Anyway, um, (laughs) they did, however, hire this thing. This is an art teacher. You're going to hear her describe how she got fired, and it is what you would expect. How do you feel right now? Really ashamed, I guess, disappointed, because I feel like it's all my fault, and I was just being myself. That Cape Coral middle school teacher claims she was fired because she spoke with her students about sexuality. I'm Peter Bush. And I'm Kelly Byrne. She says her art students then drew flag pictures expressing their own sexuality. But school leaders forced her to crumple up those drawings and throw them out. She took this picture and just after that she was fired. 
NBC News Dave Elias spoke with the former teacher today and the Lee County School District. Casey Scott is a first-year art teacher. She sat down with me today exclusively to say she believes that she was fired after some students here at Trafalgar Middle School began drawing LGBTQ flags. A discussion happened in class, and because of that, now I'm fired. That discussion, according to Trafalgar Middle School teacher Casey Scott, centered on student sexuality. A lot of the kids came out to me like, oh, well, I'm non-binary. And a couple kids said, oh, well, I'm bi. One kid said they're gay. She claims students wondered about her. Oh, I'm pansexual. So, um, like, I like anyone despite female, male. And married to a man. She says some students asked to create art expressing their sexuality. This one's a trans flag. She hung the pictures on her classroom door. They said that it would be in the best interest if I just got rid of them now. She snapped these pictures showing how she got rid of them. I went over to the recycling bin. I grabbed all of their flags and all the kids were staring at me and I crumbled their flags in front of them. She was sent home, and then... I got a call from administration saying that, well, at this time, we are releasing you from your contract. She showed us social media posts from students upset over her firing. However, the Lee County School District showed us complaints from parents and students explaining that they could create flags expressing who they are. Union President Kevin Daly says they can legally fire her. During that probationary period, um, they can let you go without cause. She doesn't belong to the union. Daly believes the firing could be a wake-up call for teachers. There is kind of a heightened sense of, you know, where is the boundary and what, what are employees supposed to do, allowed to do, what to do when, the, when a topic comes up in discussion. Her firing came days before the governor signed a law that limits LGBTQ talk in age-appropriate settings. My concern is for the mental health of the transgender, non-binary students. LGBTQ advocate Crystal Siscon believes the district made a mistake. I would like to see a statement from the school board recognizing that they need to have a mental health counselor come in and speak with the children who are directly impacted by their actions toward this teacher. The district telling me, quote, she was terminated for not following state-mandated curriculum. Dave Elias, NBC2. All she had to do was teach art. That's all she had to do. All you had to do was just teach art. Can't even do that. Can't even do that without getting political. And notice at the beginning when she said, a discussion started. Well, that's awfully vague. Who started the discussion? Was it a student? Was it you? You see, this is, this is the lapse in professionalism that does not get taught at the teacher education level. If a student asks a teacher about their sexuality, you look that student in the face and you say, that's none of your business. And then you move on. I, I've probably mentioned this a long time ago in, in past episodes, probably right at the very beginning of this of this podcast, as a matter of fact, back in 2020. One of, the, one of the words that you'll hear in a teacher education program when people are training to be teachers is you'll hear this word transition. And instructionally, what they mean is, is a teacher, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean cutting your genitals off, I promise. Not in this sense. <laughs> what it actually means is, is an instructional transition is can you move from one particular activity to another without much without much downtime and i remember when i was in my teacher education program if you wanted to call it that they they worked very hard to focus and hone in on that being one of the larger problems that's one of the biggest problems is transition your transitions need to be smooth Again, it's very difficult to hear that word and not think about lopping off genitals. But either way, again, sorry, it's, you know, the culture we live in now is sick. So that's what they focused on. Again, they put all of their emphasis on that as instructional transition as being like the major hiccup that would occur for you being a teacher. The, the answer to that, of course, is no, that's not the largest hiccup. The real, the real instructional transition. That, that, that teachers have the hardest time with in a classroom setting is going from 
a disciplinary action that they are having to engage in going going from that back to baseline instruction because you're talking about a heightened sense of emotion dealing with a disciplinary problem and then having to immediately calm yourself act as if it didn't happen and get back into an instructional frame of mind that's the hardest transition for for a teacher to make from yelling at Johnny or Sally and then all of a sudden you have to go back to teaching fractions i mean that's the you know that's the that's the hardest transition for a novice educator to make but this right here proves that this is what's happened with many school teachers is that they will just let things happen on their own you know quote unquote organically let's just let things organically happen in the classroom and that's the most comfortable environment no that's when chaos erupts again we're talking about a profession that by and large has been routined and that routine matters one of the things again that they would teach anybody worth their sense anyway would teach in a teacher education program is that you have to overplan your day you overplan your teaching period you you have everything lined up and categorized one two three four five or one two three i'm going to do these three things i'm going to start off with this i might show them this video of this audio of this and then we're going to review what we did and then we're going to end with this and then it all ties together and then that's it that's the end of your that's the end of your teaching period no art teacher should be talking about sexuality again they've lost the plot she's rationalizing it again as i was talking about myself but clearly she proved that the art activity that they were doing was making flags that were associated with people's preferred sexuality again did she not read the law did she not think to herself for a moment that this might get her in trouble clearly the the answer was no she wasn't thinking the other thing that these teachers aren't thinking about is they're not thinking that there are students in their classrooms who know more than they do and that happens all of the time clearly there were students more knowledgeable about the law and their parents are probably more knowledgeable about the law and what can and cannot be done in a classroom than the actual teacher themselves and again this is something that the teacher didn't consider this is a trap for these kinds of teachers and they still aren't figuring this out they're they're not figuring it out if if this is you know if these kinds of laws are going to do anything that is good, and and I do believe that they can and are doing things that are good. It's going to force these teachers to be more organized, which again is something that they lost along the way, or they were never taught that you need to be organized. You need to focus on your subject, your subject alone. Stay away from political issues, social issues, activism. Stay away from all of that. But that's impossible for for a a novice teacher. Who, who was grown out of one of these teacher education programs to be an activist, to be a radical. That's all they were taught. That's what, that's what they're learning in these, in these quote-unquote higher education environments. It's a trap. It's an absolute trap. It's a trap for failure. And again, I've given lectures on this at the university level. One in particular I'll never forget. I've even brought it up in the past, but some of the teacher, you know, some of the the teacher candidates, we'll call them, the, the teacher education students, were blown away when I contradicted their own department chair, because their department chair gave a lecture and then I gave a lecture after him, and I was just a guest speaker. This guy worked there, who, by the way, was a protege of Bill Ayers, the domestic terrorist. I'm not making that up. That's real. His name is Brian Schultz. You can look him up. He's a lunatic. But he was an activist, trained to be one. And what was he doing, of course? He was training the, the students within this department to do the same that he was doing, to be an activist, to be radical, to ask students what to do in the classroom and this, that, and the other. It's a trap. It's a trap. It'll, it'll cost them their jobs. I've been screaming that 
even in even in foreign countries, I was screaming that and and warning warning endless students that that was that was you know well I was warning lots of people, but I was warning teacher education professors this is going to cost your students their jobs. If you're teaching them to be an activist, they will lose their job. If you're teaching them to be politically motivated in the classroom and bring up these subjects, they're going to lose their job. That's that's the way that it is. And they would look at me like I was a crazy person. Whatever. Uh, they will lose their job. They'll be hoisted up on the shoulders of their colleagues and carried around, carried around the school. That might happen in the most radical schools, but in the vast majority, it won't. It's a recipe for failure. And this is an example of a teacher who just found out the hard way. So... I don't know what I don't know what else to say. Don't know what to tell her. I don't have any advice other than if you want to be an art teacher, you'd better try to find a charter school and you'd better promise to the administration that you're not going to bring up political issues or your sexuality or anything like that in the classroom. She might still get employed. Um but she's going to she's going to have to she's going to have to look real hard. She might even have to leave the state, who knows. Okay. Last subject I wanted to cover briefly here. Um, the most recent Pfizer document dump was just dumped. Uh, and don't let, again, the other subjects that are going on distract us. We know that they, they can sometimes, but we also know that they don't have to, it doesn't have to be that way. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. Here's, here's what I did with, with all of these documents. There's 80,000. Uh, 80,000 pages, I think. I, of course, can cannot go through all of these. I randomly picked in the database one document. There are multiple pages within this particular document, but I randomly chose one. Uh, I started reading through it. I read through the first 20 some odd pages. Here's what I came across in this random document I picked. This had to do with the clinical trial protocol for the Pfizer BioNTech mRNA shots. And they have inclusion criteria and exclusion criteria for the people who were participating in the initial trial. Now again, keep in mind this trial lasted a very short amount of time. They they skipped right over the animal trials because it killed all of the animals and they jumped right into human beings. What could possibly go wrong? Here's the largest contradiction that I've seen thus far. Again, just in this one document in just these few pages. I kid you not. It's 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 big. I mean, it's huge. The key exclusion criteria. Exclusion criteria. You cannot participate in this trial if you have or are associated with any of these health parameters whatsoever or ill health parameters. It says this on page 13 of this particular document. Key exclusion criteria. Volunteers are excluded from the trial if they present any of the following criteria. They're excluded from it. If they have any acute illness as determined by the investigator with or without fever within, 20, within 72 hours prior to any immunization, any acute illness which is nearly resolved with only minor residual symptoms Remaining, uh, remaining is allowable if the opinion of the investigator, blah, 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 and the well-being is fine. Okay. Then the next bullet point says, have any known allergy, hypersensitivity, or intolerance to the planned investigational medical, uh, medical product, medicinal product. Then it says this. This is the next bullet point. It says, had any medical condition or any major surgery within the last five years? Interesting. Keep in mind, as I'm reading through these bullet points, they push this on everybody. And I mean everybody. Whether you were sick, healthy, had surgery, needed surgery, whatever it was, they were pushing this on people in real time over the last two years, regardless of these conditions, that they would have been exempt from if it were an actual clinical trial, which it was. It, it blows me away. It blows me away. The next bullet point says, uh, 
have any surgery planned during the trial starting after visit zero and continually until at least 90 days after receiving the last immunization. So you can't have any kind of a surgery planned even 90 days after the fact. Next bullet point says, had any chronic use more than 21 continuous days of any systemic medications, including immunosuppressants or other immune-modifying drugs. If you take anything that's an immune-modifying drug, you weren't allowed to participate in the trial. But what were doctors telling people? If you're immunocompromised and you take immunosuppressing drugs or immune-boosting drugs, rather, you have to get these shots. The next bullet point says regular recipient of inhaled or nebulized corticosteroids. If you use an inhalant, you weren't allowed to take these shots during the trial, but they forced it on them when the trial ceased to exist. Here's the next one. Had any vaccination within the last 28 days prior to the first visit? Flu shots. Think of that one. The next one. Had administration or any immunoglobulins and or any blood products within the three months prior to visit zero. You couldn't have a blood transfusion or have blood donated to you before this trial of receiving these shots. Again, it goes on. Did you take any vaccinations within the last 60 days? Then you can't participate in the trial. Do you have a history of of, uh, hepatitis B or C? Or HIV, you can't participate in the trial. Cannot participate in the trial. You have a positive PCR-based test for SARS-CoV-2 within the last 30 days. You cannot participate. Previously participated in an investigational trial involving lipid nanoparticles. They're telling you that lipid nanoparticles are in the shots. And if you've already participated in a trial that had them, you can't participate in this one. If you have a history of substance abuse or a known medical, psychological, or social condition, you can't participate in the trial. Have a history of hypersensitivity or serious reactions to previous vaccinations, you cannot participate in the BioNTech mRNA Pfizer trial. The next bullet point. Have a history of Guillain-Barre syndrome within six weeks following a previous vaccination. You can't participate in the trial. Have a history of narcolepsy. You can't participate. Cannot participate. Have a history of suspected immunosuppressive condition, acquired or congenital, as determined by a medical history or a physical examination. If you have a compromised immune system, you cannot participate in the trial. Have symptoms of coronavirus disease or respiratory symptoms, fever, cough, shortness of breath, breathing difficulty. You can't participate. This list is endless. It basically encompasses every human known to man. You cannot participate in the trial. It continues. If you have hypertension, diabetes, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, asthma, chronic liver disease, known stage 3 or worse chronic kidney disease, Serious heart conditions such as heart failure, coronary artery disease, or cardiomyopathies, you cannot participate. Sickle cell disease, you can't participate. Cancer or a history of cancer, you cannot participate. Or immune compromised, can't participate. Resident in a long-term facility, can't participate. Current vaping or smoking, you cannot participate. And a history of chronic smoking, Within the prior year, you cannot participate. Ladies and gentlemen, who does that leave left to participate? Who does that possibly leave left? A baby? I mean, my God. Almost every human has had or has experienced something of that nature at some point, sometime. Have you ever taken a shot and had an ill effect as a result of taking a shot? Almost everybody has, which means, again, who does that leave? This is in the Pfizer documentation that they wanted to keep secret for decades and decades and decades. These are the very people, ladies and gentlemen, that they push this on. These are the very people who have taken it. 
These are the very people who are walking around general society who have taken it. This was not meant for humans. This was meant to destroy. That's it. It was meant to kill. I hate to end on a sour note, but <laughs> these, these documents are terrible. They're absolutely terrible. Again, I randomly picked a document. I'm not a medical professional, but I, I can read. I know medical conditions. And I can read scientific papers. But I recommend, again, you get on their database. You can look it up on almost any search engine. Jump on their database. You hit the sort by button on the right-hand side, and it will sort it by date. You may have to scroll down to the bottom of the first page to find May 1st documents. And then you, you, you click on the next page, and then there's, there's all May 1st documents. Click on the next page, all May 1st documents. These PDFs are enormous. They're hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages long. Some of them are just a few pages, but it's, it's too deep. This was not meant for humans, ladies and gentlemen. It just was not. Okay, lots there, lots in that episode. My apologies for the length, but hey, it's the way it goes. Um, have a great weekend, ladies and gentlemen. I have a new puppy. There's a new puppy in the family here. Hopefully uh, you didn't hear the whining in the background, but it's a beautiful dog. Absolutely love it. And I'll be wrestling with it in the yard all weekend long. That's the plan. So have a great weekend, everybody. I'll catch you on Monday. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.